Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Hebrews chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and get a Bible out, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair around you. Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to continue in our series called Core, where we take a look at our core values here at Coastal. But before we jump in, I wanted to give you guys a little life update. Uh, a lot's happened since the last time I've had an opportunity to, to preach to you guys. And, and uh, my wife and I, who's right here, uh, just had our first child a couple weeks ago. Uh, baby Hannah's at home with, with Grandma. But I wanted to show you guys a picture. So Cheryl, you can go ahead and put it up. This is Hannah Jane Weiss. She's beautiful because she looks like her mom. And uh, no, so she is... We are all happy, healthy, and very sleepy. So I just wanted to take a second and thank you guys for your love and your support and your prayers. So many of you guys have just been so helpful bringing us food. And by the way, just because it's been a couple weeks doesn't mean that has to stop. So we're, <laughs> we're always accepting food. But no, seriously, thank you guys so much for your love and support. It, it means the world to us. All right, so this morning we're going to be talking about authenticity and in particular, authenticity as it relates to our relationships with one another. Last week, Pastor David talked about being authentic in our relationship with the Lord. But this morning, I want to talk about authenticity with one another. So to be authentic means to be genuine or to be real. And authenticity is an attractive quality to us. We all know there's a big difference between authentic Mexican food and Taco Bell even though I, I still eat quite a bit of Taco Bell. Uh, there's a difference in authentic sunglasses and those knockoff ones that have the same name, but they're going to break after you wear them three times. And most importantly, there's a big difference in an authentic football team and the Washington Redskins. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist it. So, so while we all love authenticity in theory, a lot of times it's a lot harder to practice than to preach. So a lot of you guys, when you walked in this morning, and one of the first impressions people or somebody asked you, how are you? You probably lied, right? You probably said, oh, I'm fine. I'm good. And, and you're probably not fine. And you're probably not good. There was this guy, I used to work in a hospital and um, I used to think he was really weird. And the reason I thought he was weird is because he always answered the question, how are you? Really honestly, like super honestly. And I didn't really know him very well. I'd be passing him in the hallway, just really casual. Oh, hey man, how's it going? And I'm, I'm just you know, just going to walk by. I expect him to say good because that's just what you say. And no, he goes into like a 10-minute thing about, man, the relationship with my dad and my dog died and I don't want to be at work today and I'm not feeling great and so on and so forth. And I'm just like, dude, I'm just trying to be polite. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. And days ago, it was the same thing every day until I finally was just like, all right, good morning. Then just keep walking. I know I'm terrible and rude. But the point is authenticity is like that. Sometimes it can be messy. It can be I'm just going to spill what's going on. And then sometimes we just want to hold it in. Well, I think that my generation in particular, millennials, have a tendency to be really passionate about authenticity. And that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to be passionate about authenticity. And I think we can often spot a fake a mile away and we despise it. But my concern is that oftentimes authenticity for its own sake is pointless. If we divorce authenticity from a desire to pursue holiness then it's really worthless. And let me give you an example of this. Take a typical college guy's small group. It usually goes something like this. Well, guys, I messed up. I looked at porn this week. The next guy, oh, yeah, me too. Next guy, oh, yeah, me too. Well, see you all next week. And then they go home. They go right back to their sin. They come back next week. You rinse and repeat. It's we're, we're getting together so that we can wallow in our brokenness to try to feel better about ourselves. And in a great article on this phenomenon on thegospelcoalition.org, Brett McCracken wrote, 
It's almost as if our sins have become a currency of solidarity, something we pat each other on the back about as fellow authentic, broken people. But sin should always be grieved rather than celebrated. So what I just described, it's not really authenticity. It's just wallowing in brokenness because misery loves company. But as we will see this morning, real authenticity, real biblical authenticity is intentional about pursuing Christ, intentional about pursuing holiness. So I'd like to answer this question with you all this morning. What does biblical authenticity look like? Because our mission statement here at Coastal is to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be an authentic follower of Christ? And as I was considering this topic, Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14, jumped out at me as a passage that really powerfully demonstrates what I've been talking about. So as we jump in, I wanted to give you guys my own personal definition of authenticity, and we'll spend this morning kind of unpacking this. Biblical authenticity is a Christ-honoring transparency about our struggles, our temptations, and sins in the local church for the purpose of pursuing holiness and persevering in the faith together. So this morning, I want to talk about the depth of our need for this kind of authenticity, the purposes for it, and what that will look like in our lives together. So with this in mind, let's take a look at Hebrews 3 together, starting in verse 12. The Word of God says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to open up your word and to study it together. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, you would help to transform us and to change us into the authentic followers of Jesus Christ that you have called us to be. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to consider this morning is the need for authenticity. An authentic lifestyle as a Christian and within the local church, it's not just a good idea. I think it's necessary, both for our health as individual Christians and for the health of our church body as a whole. A healthy church is an authentic church. And there are three areas, I think, even in this text that show us why we need authenticity. And the first is this, because our faith is corporate. The Christian faith is a corporate faith. And that stands in contrast to a culture that is radically individualized. Our idols tend to be the people who are self-made, who did it on their own, who pulled up their, by their own bootstraps and worked hard and made it on their own. But that's not the way that God intends for his church to live. When you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ, you are united to Christ by faith, but you're also united to his body. When you were adopted to be a son or a daughter of God, you're also adopted into a family. You have brothers and sisters. And we see this reality right here in this text. Verse 12 begins by saying, take care, brothers. Verse 1 of this chapter calls them holy brothers. Verse 6 in this chapter calls us the household of Christ. What this means is that in Christ, we have been set apart from the world, and we have been brought together into the family of God. And here's why that's important. The idea of a Christian without the church is foreign to the scriptures. And, you know, just recently I was listening to a talk show with a well-known political commentator. I won't name names because you probably know them. 
they were being interviewed about their faith, and they said that typical comment that we hear all the time. You could probably say it before I do. You know, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I feel God more in nature. You know, that sounds really spiritual. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? But the thing is, we would never use that dumb logic in any other area of our lives. All right, call your boss tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Hey, boss, you know, I still work for you. I'm still an employee. I still want to get my paycheck on Friday. But I don't want to come in this morning. I, I feel more connected to my job when I'm sleeping in. So I'm just going to stay home. I'm still an employee. I still want my paycheck, but I'm just going to stay home. Is that going to fly? Of course it's not. But here's the bigger problem with that. Our feelings are not the standard of reality. You feeling connected to God is not the reason why you're a part of a local church. And now, don't get me wrong, I hope that happens, but our feelings don't determine what's right and what's wrong. A girl in a small group that I used to lead once told me, I don't really read my Bible or pray in the morning because I don't feel like it, and for me to do something that I don't feel like would be inauthentic. The problem is that's a really bad definition of authenticity. Authenticity is not me living in line with my feelings. Authenticity is me living in line with my identity. And what is your identity as a Christian? Your identity is Christ. It means you have been united to Christ by faith. You have been chosen by the Father. You have been filled with the Spirit. You have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And if all of that is true of me, then my feelings don't matter. Amen? I can serve God regardless of my feelings. So to be authentic is to live out my identity in Christ rather than living out of my feelings. And one of the ways that we do that is by living in relationship with Christ's body, the church. And please don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, that's just sort of like a subtle dig. And we don't know who he's talking about, but he knows who he's talking about. And the Hebrews probably knew who he was talking about, right? As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's why it's so important. That's why we're always hounding you guys. We need to be here faithfully on Sunday mornings. We need to be in a small group. We're not doing that just because we want numbers. We're doing that because it's good for you. Amen? It's good for me. We need to be in community together to stir one another up to love and to good works and to encourage each other in the faith. You know, don't get me wrong. It's not as if going to church makes me a Christian any more than going in a garage makes you a car. But I do believe that active participation in your church is a thermometer for your spiritual life. It is evidence that you take your relationship with God seriously. So this is one of the reasons why we need authenticity, because our faith is by nature corporate. But another reason is this. We are prone to wander. We are prone to wander. A lot of you guys probably recognize that point. It's, it's from the third verse of one of my all-time favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. All of us are prone to wander, and left to our own strength, all of us would wander away from God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts can deceive us, and we are prone to wander, and without the grace of God, we will. 
That's why I asked Brian to sing the song that we just sang, He Will Hold Me Fast. It says, I could never keep my hold through life's fearful paths, for my love is often cold, and he must hold me fast. It's not in my strength. It's not in your strength. It's in the Lord's strength to hold us fast. We daily need the grace of God to renew us and to change us and to keep us from wandering. But here's the deal. We see it in this text. One of the ways that God does that is through authentic community in the church. He uses relationships in the body of Christ to encourage us when we're in despair, to challenge us when we're comfortable in sin, and to fix our eyes on Jesus as we run this race together. The third reason why we need authenticity is that sin is deceitful. Verse 13 says that the reason we need to daily encourage each other is that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceptive. It's tricky. 2 Corinthians, we just got done studying that over the summer, it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that the sin that we're tempted to in our lives would also come disguised. It can often look beautiful at first. It can look desirable. It can look harmless even. And it draws us toward it. But here's the thing about sin. It always overpromises and underdelivers. It never keeps its promises. Sin always promises pleasure, success, fulfillment, and whatever else, and it never delivers. Sin is like the bait on a hook. And you and I are the fish, naively thinking that we found an easy dinner. By the time we bite the bait, though, what we don't realize is that we're already hooked, and we're being dragged toward our death. But before we bite, all we see is the bait, and that looks harmless, but we can't see the hook. Let's take a couple of examples here. When you're tempted to look at pornography, you're just seeing the bait of temporary fleshly indulgence. What you don't see is the fact that it's going to erode your brain, destroy your marriage and family. It's going to help fund sex slavery, and it's dehumanizing people made in the image of God. You don't see the bait. You just see the hook. What about when you're tempted to drink too much? It's just going to be a good time. I'm just going to unwind with my friends, whatever. It's not a big deal. We don't think about the effects of alcoholism on your family and on your body. You don't think about the number of people killed by drunk drivers. You don't think about the foolishness that's going to come out of your mouth afterwards. You don't see the bait. I mean, you don't see the hook. You just see the bait. Okay, those examples are a little bit extreme. So let's bring it down a little bit. What about gossip, right? Gossip is harmless. It's just a little water cooler conversation about somebody else. That's not a big deal. Everybody does it, right? Well, we don't think about the fact that you're verbally tearing apart a person made in the image of God that Jesus died for. You don't think about the fact that you're going to ruin your own reputation by presenting yourself as a gossip. And you don't think about the relational brokenness that's going to follow from tearing somebody else apart. You don't see the hook. You just see the bait. What's the point in all of this? The point is that sin is deceitful. It's tricky. In the moment, all we can see is a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of whatever it promises, and we don't see that it's going to cause chaos and brokenness in this life, and if left unchecked and unrepented of, eternal punishment in the next. And that's why we need authentic Christian community. The author of Hebrews talks about the deceitfulness of sin and the horror of falling away from the living God, and what solution does he give in verse 13? 
exhorting one another every day. Christians in the body of Christ daily exhorting one another about the deceitfulness of sin and pointing each other to the superior glory of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why we all need each other is because we have blind spots. There's bait in my life that I can't see that you can. There's bait in your life that you can't see, but I can. We need each other and we need to be transparent with each other so that we can warn each other about the deceitfulness of sin and point to Jesus Christ. Well, the second point this morning is about the purpose of authenticity. We need authenticity in our church because of the corporate nature of our faith, because of our tendency to wander, and because of the deceitfulness of sin. But I think there are two distinct purposes for authenticity that we see in this text, and those are holiness and perseverance. And I think these two purposes for authenticity are what set this kind of authenticity apart from the fake authenticity that we talked about in the intro. The reason we want to be authentic as followers of Jesus is because we want to look like Jesus and because we want to persevere in the faith together. So first, we need authentic community in our striving for holiness. Striving for holiness. What does it mean to strive for holiness? In fact, what, what does it mean to be holy? Well, to be holy means to be set apart. It means to be set apart from sin, from the world, and to be set apart to serve God. And the big theological word that we use for this is sanctification. I want to give you guys like a three or four minute theology lesson here because I think it's going to be helpful. So please don't fall asleep. And if you do fall asleep and fall out of your chair and die, we'll just raise you from the dead and keep on preaching, okay? So at least there's that. Either way, you're not getting out of this. (laughs) Sanctification is the lifelong process of fleeing sin and pursuing Christ. It is God progressively making us more and more holy now that we have been saved. It starts at the moment of salvation, and it will never be complete on this side of eternity. Once we get to heaven, that's called glorification. That's the moment when we are completely free from sin, and there is no more sin, and we have no more desire even to sin. Sanctification is not what saves us, but it is the evidence that we have been saved. And now sanctification is different from another big word, justification. What on earth does that mean? Justification is the moment when God declares us righteous. Justification means that God says, my sin has been paid for by Jesus, and now Jesus's good works, his record of obedience, have been credited to my spiritual bank account. They've been credited to me by grace through faith. So what that means is we aren't saved by our own good works. We didn't earn our salvation. Jesus earned our salvation. We are saved by Jesus's good works. Justification is a moment. It takes place in time. It's once and for all. It's irreversible. Whereas sanctification is a process that happens throughout our lives. And now justification and sanctification, they are always distinct, but they can never be separated. Once you are justified, you will be sanctified. And on the other side, if you are not being sanctified, you have not been justified. A good tree always bears good fruit. All right, let's bring this back down. How does all of this theology matter for us? Like I said, sanctification always follows justification. So if you are not growing in holiness, that means that we have reason to doubt the authenticity 
of your justification, if that really happened in your life. And church, that's why there's nothing more important in this world than our striving for holiness, becoming like Christ, because that's the reason that we've been saved. That's the evidence that we've been saved, is this pursuit of holiness. It says in Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, why did he do that? To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The reason that God sovereignly chose to save you before the foundation of the earth is so that he could conform you to the image of Christ, so that he could make you look more like his son. And how is all of that connected to authenticity? Well, here it is. Our relationships with each other in the church are central to our sanctification, to our becoming more like Jesus. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you see that connection there? The striving for peace with everyone is a part of striving for holiness. And how serious is this holiness? Without it, no one's going to see the Lord. We need authentic community in the church to become more like Jesus. You know, there are more than 50 one another passages in the New Testament. You know, love one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. Try just fulfilling one of those by yourself. You can't. You know, more than half of the Ten Commandments deal with our relationships with other people. The Bible is so concerned with our relationships with other people. And all of this means that we can't do this alone. Our pursuit of holiness is a corporate thing. And the second reason we need authentic community, the second purpose for authentic community, is that it is a means of perseverance. What do we mean by perseverance? You know, my friend David just got done running a 100-mile race. Uh, I, when I first saw it, I thought it was a typo. Uh, it must have been a 10-mile race, which is still stupid. You know, like, who, who wants to run 10 miles? You know, but no, sure enough, it was 100 miles. I forget how long I was told it took, like over a day, you know, just taking short breaks. That takes an incredible amount of perseverance, but that's not quite what I'm talking about here. Perseverance in the Christian life means standing firm for the long haul. It means remaining a Christian for your whole life, remaining faithful to Christ for years and decades. And that's not easy. You know, it seems like every time we turn on the news, we'll hear about some new high-profile Christian leader who has committed some great moral failure and has been disqualified from ministry or, or has renounced the faith publicly. And it's heartbreaking to see that, but it reminds us of the importance of perseverance because the Christian life, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a 100-mile race, if you will. It's not just a quick burst. Hebrews 3.14 says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our confidence our original confidence firm to the end. So holding our original confidence firm to the end is the evidence of the first part of the verse, the evidence that we have truly come to share in Christ. So it's not about, you know, I'm losing my salvation. It's about if I remain faithful to the end, that is the evidence that my salvation was genuine to begin with. But what's fascinating about this text is the connection between the evidence, no, I'm sorry, the, the connection between the perseverance of verse 14 and the exhorting one another in verse 13. This means that one of the reasons, one of the means that God gives us to persevere in the faith is authentic community in the church. So how do you remain faithful to Christ for 50 and 60 and 70 years 
in a broken world like this one. Let me tell you, it's not by feeling God in nature. It's by being rooted and grounded in an authentic Christian community. There is something so sanctifying about committing yourself to a local church and saying, I'm going to be here through the ups and downs, through the thick and thin, through the good and the bad sermons, through the good and the bad music, through the hurt feelings, and through all of that, I am going to be committed to this local church. There is something so sanctifying about that and so necessary for our perseverance as Christians. So now that we know why we need authenticity, now that we know the purpose of it, holiness and perseverance, what does it look like? How do we do this? How do we live with authenticity in the church? I want to consider together the means of authenticity. The first of these means is confession. We confess our sin to each other. We confess our sin. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The starting point of authenticity is transparency. Remember our, our definition, authenticity is a Christ-honoring transparency. It's being honest about what's really going on in my life. And if we're gonna be a church that takes holiness seriously, we've got to also be a church that takes transparency seriously. Because I can't help you with the struggles, the temptations, and the sins in your life if I don't know what they are. You can't help me if you don't know what's going on in my life. And that's why it's so important to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ that know you and love you and can come alongside to help you when you're struggling. I listed three things in the definition, struggles, temptations, and sins. And those aren't all the same thing. A struggle it could be anything in your life. It's not necessarily sin. It could just be a difficult circumstance, a, a difficult job, a difficult season of marriage, a difficult financial situation. We need each other to help us through those things, to give us wisdom and to give us help and support. What about a temptation? A temptation's a desire to sin that comes up in all of us. We need to have people in our lives that know our temptations so that they can hold us accountable, they can encourage us, and they can help us. And of course, sin is just anything, any action, thought, word, deed that is contrary to the will of God as revealed in Scripture. And everyone in this room struggles with all three of these things. If you say you don't, you got to repent of your lying. Right? All of us struggle with these things because we're sinners by nature. That's why we need people in our lives that we can be honest about it with. Confessing our sin to one another, to another human being, can be hard and it can be messy, but it's so important. And I think it's something that us Protestants really miss out on. So while I think the Catholic Church is wrong, about the need to confess sin to a priest because Jesus is our priest and we can go directly to God through Jesus, there is something too regularly confessing our sins to another person that we often neglect. There's a great blessing that comes when we open up and we're honest with other people about what's going on in our lives and we confess it. I love Psalm 32. David wrote these words after his affair with Bathsheba. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Here's the main part. For when I kept silent, when I refused to confess my sin, when I kept it all in and I was not transparent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, but I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. According to this text, keeping our sin a secret will only make us miserable. You know, I think there are some people, maybe even in this room, who've been miserable. You've been going through a dark time in your soul, and the reason why is because you've got sin in your life that you're not dealing with. You're not confessing it. And let me promise you, it says twice in this text that we are blessed when we do this. And there is even a promise of full and complete forgiveness. Please don't buy into the lie that you can handle it on your own and you don't need help from anyone else. Because I promise, keeping sin a secret will only dig the hole deeper. Sin has a tendency to isolate us and make us think, oh no, they can't possibly know what I did because if they do, what would they think of me? They would hate me. They would judge me if they knew the things that I'd done. But in a truly gospel-centered church, that couldn't be farther from the truth because true authenticity is an invitation to be honest about what's going on in my life so that my brothers and sisters can walk alongside me and help me to pursue Christ, to pursue holiness. This confession, this transparency is all about honesty. And we see all throughout scripture the value that God places on honesty. And I'm always fascinated by the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's freeze for a second. That's pretty good. I mean, if you sold your house, and gave most of it to the church, man, that's great. I mean, you guys get mad at us when we preach about giving 10%, but that was a joke. But um, (laughs) no, but I mean, that's pretty good, right? They should be happy with that. Well, let's keep going. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. So why did he get the death penalty? Was it because he kept back part of the money for himself? No, that was his money. He could have done whatever he wanted with it. The point is that he lied In this story, it illustrates the value of honesty, the importance of honesty in the local church. I'm not saying if you're not honest when your small group asks how you're doing, you're going to get zapped. But what I am saying is that God values honesty, and we must be honest in the church. And I get it. Transparency, it's hard. It's messy. Confessing that you're struggling with something is embarrassing, and it's difficult, and it takes a lot of humility and a lot of courage but I don't think we're gonna grow as authentic followers of Jesus if we aren't willing to do this, if we aren't willing to be honest with the people in our lives about what's going on. Think that everyone in this room needs people in your life that you can be completely and brutally and embarrassingly honest about. And again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you need to just go and emotionally vomit all over anyone who will listen, like my friend from the hospital. I think there is a certain degree of wisdom involved and knowing who to open up to, knowing where to open up, and knowing when to open up. First of all, who? It should be somebody that's spiritually mature, somebody who you can trust that's not gonna go spread it around, someone that you trust and know will listen and will love you and will pray for you. What about where? Newsflash, not Facebook. 
That's just not a good idea. We don't need to go on there and air our dirty laundry. It's not going to help anybody. You need to find someone who you can talk to in person or on the phone, have some kind of actually relational communication. And when? There are certain times when it's more appropriate than others. I know we've been talking about authenticity. We're not starting open mic Sundays next week. You know, but there is a certain degree of wisdom in knowing who and when and where to open up to. So here's what I recommend. I think everyone in this room needs another believer in Christ that can hold them accountable. You can call it an accountability partner. You can call it whatever you want. Someone who's spiritually mature, someone who's the same gender as you because men and women struggle with different things. We need someone we can talk to honestly about those things. You also need to be in a small group that you can open up to. Your small groups need to be a safe place where people can confess what's going on in their lives so that we can pray for each other and help one another. And listen, if you're lacking that in your life, we want to help you. We do. You can put that on a connect card. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor David. You can talk to one of our prayer team members. If you're not connected, we want to help you get connected. We want to practice what we preach here. So if you're lacking either of those things in your life, please let us know. We want to help you. Well, the second means of authenticity in the church is this. We forgive one another. And this is the other side of the coin, right? We confess our sins, and then we forgive when we've been sinned against. A healthy church is made up of good confessors and good forgivers. And if we develop a church culture of being harsh and judgmental toward the first confession of sin that comes up, we might think we're getting rid of sin. We might think we're calling a spade a spade and we're, we're calling it like it is and we're really just putting people in their place. What we're actually doing is just pushing sin further into the dark. What we communicate when someone finally opens up and then we smack them over the head with a hammer is that this is not a safe place where you can struggle. Keep it in, paint on a smile on Sunday morning and keep it to yourself. But we've got to be a church that is quick to confess when we're struggling and quick to lovingly forgive and embrace and love and support those who are struggling. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is ultimately grounded in the gospel. Forgiveness is the reality that our God loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us that we might be forgiven. Whenever I'm talking with someone who's really struggling with forgiveness, one of the first things I say is, listen, you have offended God more with your sin than that person has offended you, I promise and yet he chose to freely love and forgive you. When we understand that, how could we possibly withhold forgiveness from someone else? Authentic followers of Jesus are quick to confess and they're quick to forgive. And the final means of authenticity in the church is this. We exhort one another daily. Just as it says in Hebrews 3.13, exhorting one another daily. The Greek word that's translated as exhort is the verb form of the noun that's used in John 14, 16, when Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, but when the helper comes, it's the same word. In the original language, it's often used of a lawyer or an advocate, someone who would come alongside someone to defend them and to help them. That's exactly what we are called to do as believers. We're called to come alongside and to help each other, to help our brothers and sisters in Christ run this race together. So what are some practical ways we can do this? How can we exhort one another day in and day out? Well, first, it means reminding each other of the gospel regularly. 
We need to let the person and work of Christ be a regular topic of conversation among us. It means warning each other about the dangers of sin and temptation. When you see your brother or your sister in a situation that could lead to sin, love them enough to say something. It means encouraging one another when we're going through a difficult season of life or when we're struggling with a sin or temptation. It means worshiping with one another regularly, both on Sunday mornings and in small groups. It means instructing one another regularly with the truth of God's word so that we can grow in our knowledge of him and in our faith in him. It means praying for each other regularly, both in good times and in bad. I think our small groups need to set aside time in every meeting to share prayer requests and then to pray for one another. And then you should be praying for those requests throughout the week. I know my small group has a, a private Facebook group where we always share the prayer requests so that throughout the week we can go on there and we can pray for each other. So you know that no matter what you're going through, you know somebody's praying for you. And that's huge. Finally, it means loving your brothers and sisters in Christ by always seeking to do what will encourage them to pursue holiness. And how often do we do this? Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another for one hour and 10 minutes on every Sunday. I'm sorry. Actually, it says, exhort one another daily. And I love this, just in case we don't know what daily means. The author of Hebrews adds, as long as it is called today. When is it not called today? Tomorrow? Well, once we get to tomorrow, it's going to be called today. The reason I love that comment is it makes my sarcasm feel biblically justified. <laughs> because if they can do it, I can too. But the point is, this is supposed to be a regular part of our lives together as Christians. It's supposed to be constant, that we're exhorting, we're encouraging one another. And the mutual exhortation of this is the means that we are given so that we will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That means when we start to neglect this, when we start to neglect exhorting one another every day, we will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other God never intended for us to live alone. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to take a second and think about the number one criticism that we hear about the church from unchurched people. Pastor David mentioned it last week. And you guys can finish this sentence for me. The church is full of what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. What that accusation is basically saying is this. Your church is inauthentic. Your church is not authentic. Because that accusation, the church is full of hypocrites, is true of an inauthentic church. Because what's the definition of hypocrisy? It's me pretending to be something that I'm not. It's that I'm pretending to be fine when I'm really not. But as we've seen this morning, we need to be open and honest with each other about what's going on in our lives because our faith is corporate, because our hearts are deceitful, and because we are prone to wander. We walk in authenticity because we want to be holy and persevere in the faith, and we do this by confessing our sins, forgiving one another, and exhorting one another daily. Why did I just recap my whole sermon in 30 seconds? Because of this. When we do that, when we live like that, that accusation will no longer be true. Because a hypocrite is not a Christian that sins. It's not a person that's broken and messed up. A hypocrite is somebody who pretends like they're not. So when we are truly authentic... When we are truly living this way, this criticism will no longer be true. A person is not a hypocrite because they're broken. They're a hypocrite when they pretend like they're not. And a true follower of Jesus says, I am struggling and I need the grace of God every day to renew me and to change me and to mold me into the image of Christ. So here is my final encouragement to you all this morning.
what's going on? What are the struggles? What are the temptations? What are the sins in your life that are hindering your relationship with God and with other people? Find a brother or sister in Christ that you can be honest with. You can tell them what's going on. You can share what's going on. If you don't have that in your life, come find me. Come find Pastor David, a prayer team member. Put it on your Connect card. We want to help you get connected. I never want to hear people say, I've been coming to Coastal for a long time, but I just don't feel connected because we have on-ramps for you. We want to help you get in relationships with other people. We want to walk alongside you and help you to be the authentic follower of Christ that God made you to be. And it's my prayer that Coastal Community Church would be a truly authentic church so that the gospel would shine all the brighter through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your love, for your grace, for your mercy that is never ending. We thank you that you have loved us, you have called us into your family, that you have redeemed us. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to really live as your family, that you would give us the courage to be truly authentic in our relationships with other people, to be honest about what's going on, and to pursue with all of our hearts the holiness without which no one will see you, to persevere and to run this race together. Lord, we need your help. We can't do this alone. Help us, Lord. Forgive us when we go wrong. Strengthen us. We ask all these things.